You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the receiver position because I think it is something that is still very much on the minds of a lot of Packer fans because the Packers didn't do anything to bolster that position. And certainly that is something that I think has led to a lot of conversation and a lot of complaining, frankly, of of criticism from the Packers. And so I want to dig into where this team stands right now, how these players could be deployed, and what this offense could look like, because my thinking over the course of the last few months has evolved, and I'll explain why. I want to start with a different conversation, though, because the NFL announced a slew of guidelines around the return of the NFL related to COVID-19, and one provision stood out to me. There's testing, and there's going to be social distancing, and all of those things, and that stuff clearly an important part of keeping the players safe. But one element I found particularly troubling was something that is essentially unavoidable. There's nothing really the NFL can do to fix this problem. It is an inherent roadblock to trying to make sure that the players, the coaches, the staff are as safe as possible in the age of a no-vaccine coronavirus. The players are still going to be responsible for reporting their symptoms. So there's going to be fever testing, there's going to be COVID testing, but ultimately players are going to be in charge of saying, I don't feel well, I have symptoms that are COVID-19 symptoms. And beyond this, just as an aside, we know that one of the most contagious points in the coronavirus is actually before a person starts showing symptoms, that they could be non-symptomatic and be shedding virus, be contagious, and then develop symptoms. So it could be the case that a player tests positive, a coach, a staff member, they test positive and for three or four, five, six days before that, they were shedding virus without symptoms. That creates its own problems for the league and the players and the safety of everyone involved. But then there is this self-reporting element. This is a league that historically has a culture of either lying about obfuscating or hiding injuries. And and the reason is obvious. 
there is a culture of playing hurt. And you do it for your teammates, you do it for your coaches, you do it for your livelihood, and you do it for the fans. No one wants to be seen as the guy who's number one, always hurt, and number two, soft or fragile or not willing to put his body on the line to do what's best for the team. You're talking about asking Reggie Bagleton, who's trying to make a roster, trying to carve out a role, to go to Matt LaFleur or whomever and say, hey, coach, I've got a cough. Or, hey, coach, I've got the sniffles. Or, hey, coach, I've got headaches. I'm dehydrated. I'm feverish. Because some of the symptoms, frankly, you might just have from working out a lot. You might just be dehydrated. You work out in August in Green Bay in that humidity and your lungs might be a little messed up. You might be a little short of breath. You might wake up coughing for no reason. Okay, so maybe you just say, well, it's just kind of normal. I'll be honest, I have allergies. And their symptoms can often manifest themselves in sore throat, in a dry cough, and in some of the symptoms that are related to COVID-19. A lot of days early on, especially in the spring, I was going, are these allergies or is this COVID-19? What if you have a team full of people who have allergies? This creates so many potential problems for the teams because players, how are they going to know? They're not doctors. You or I don't know. And then that's before you get to all of the asymptomatic or non-symptomatic people on the team. Asking them to report themselves is asking them to go against their own livelihood. This is the problem that the NFL has had for years with concussions because players are unwilling to report themselves. And part of the problem with that is if you have a concussion, your judgment might be impaired. Your ability to process information might be impaired. Your judgment is potentially impaired. And hopefully this is not like that. The goal, the hope, is that players will recognize that the old structures, the old culture that said play through the ankle injury, that said don't tell your position coach you you got your bell rung, that was the phrase, don't tell them that your knee is bothering you or that your, your back spasms flared up. Just go out there, practice, go out there and play. That that does not extend beyond one person. And I don't mean that it only takes one person or that only one person on your team is doing it, but that these players, these coaches, these staff members understand that it's not just about your safety. If you play on an ankle injury, you're mostly risking your own health. You're mostly putting your own livelihood at risk. If you have symptoms, flu-like symptoms, COVID-19 symptoms, and you decide that your career is more important or that the culture does not allow you to say, yeah, I'm sick, and you are going to play through it, hopefully... There is enough of a respect and a compassion and an empathy for your fellow man, your fellow teammate, your fellow coach and staff member and organization that you say, I can't 
put anyone else at risk, I have to let someone know. And that means I either need to get tested or I need to be put in quarantine. And that is the inherent conflict that these teams are going to come up against. What happens in week two or week three? You got a big game and Aaron Jones starts to develop a cough. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Darius Smith. Are teams going to have the fortitude, the intestinal fortitude, the moral wherewithal to do the right thing to protect not just the one player, but all of the players? Or are they going to say it's more important that we win this game and therefore safety be damned? Because unfortunately, that has been the position for teams from time immemorial. Since we've had sports, that is how teams have treated their athletes, and it is just a different kind of injury that we're dealing with here. Now, again, the key difference, you know, if a a player had a concussion, it didn't affect the coach's health to put that player out there. You let Zadarius Smith play with COVID-19, you let him around the team. Not only are you potentially putting other players at risk, you're putting yourself at risk. You're Matt LaFleur. You've got kids at home. You've got a wife. You've got family that you want to see. And that's true for a lot of players. But the incentives that have always led to coaches and organizations, team doctors, to let players play through situations where they should not be on the field and and has incentivized players to lie and obfuscate about their position. All of that comes to a head with pushing forward with the coronavirus still very much out there, still very much a factor. The fall, we could be looking at a respike if there's no vaccine. And, you know, hopefully you'll forgive me for being cynical on this, but you'll also forgive me if I don't trust teams, coaches, medical doctors, team staff, and players to do the right thing in these situations because their incentives don't say that they should do the right thing. This is their livelihood. And we have decades of historical data that makes us wonder if everyone is going to do the right and healthy thing in these situations. I hope they do, and I hope that my fear here is misguided. Because I want everyone to be safe. I want everyone to be healthy. And I want us to get through this without any issues. And speaking of issues, you've probably had issues in quarantine trying to find healthy food that tastes good. I got a DM the other day from someone who said, you know, these Built Bars better be as good as you're saying they are. Trust me, they are. As long as you, you pick the right, the right flavors. I haven't tried all the flavors But the ones that I have tried are absolutely delicious. This is the best tasting protein bar I have ever tasted. And for my money, the best tasting protein bar ever. And the best part, they're healthy. We're talking about low sugar, low carb, high fiber, high protein, and they taste good. That is basically unheard of on the food market. And right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by Bobbles Galore. Bobbles Galore is the leading bobblehead retailer in the country. I have the Aaron Rodgers bobblehead that they sent me sitting on my desk right now as we speak. They have a vast inventory of bobbleheads from all the major sports leagues, Packers, Brewers, Bucks, officially licensed stuff. This is not knockoff, bootleg, janky stuff. This is legit licensed material Bob, this Aaron Rodgers bobblehead, bobbleheads can be hit or miss in terms of what they look like. I, I, this is pretty good. This, this, I wish they had gone full beard, but I like it. I really do. It does have some facial hair, and I appreciate that. Right now in limited quantities, they have a triple MVP Wisconsin puzzle bobblehead that showcases Giannis, Aaron Rodgers, and Christian Yelich, plus a limited edition Greek flag Giannis bobblehead, which, if my wife is listening, would be a great Father's Day gift. They both include an augmented reality experience via Bobble Galore's unique AR Bobbles app. They're also a brand that prizes customer service. They have a friendly chat feature on the website. So go there. They will answer any questions you have about your bobblehead experience. That's bobblesgalore.com. Use the promo code locked on when placing your order and you'll get free shipping. So I want to have this conversation about receivers. And before we get to the actual players, I think it's important that we try and come to some sort of understanding on the personnel groupings themselves. How often are we going to see these guys on the field? Because for a lot of this offseason, I've suggested, well, they're going to play less 11 personnel. And so it's really just the top two receivers who matter. And the more that I've looked at it, the more I think that's just not the case. Because when you look at 2019, they used three receiver sets by far the most of any other personnel grouping. And they are not unique in that. Uh, The Vikings are one of the few teams that doesn't use 11 personnel as their base personnel. The league average is 60%. In 11 personnel, the Packers are right at that 60%. And the next highest personnel grouping is the two tight end 12 personnel at 20%. So they use three wide receivers three to one over any other personnel grouping. And I I think I overread the, oh, the Packers didn't sign a receiver, but they did draft A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara. And now they're going to be this team that wants to play big a lot more. I don't think they're going to be like the Vikings who play in 11 personnel just 25% of the time. I just don't see it. I don't think they're going to be like San Francisco and be in 11 personnel just 40% of the time. And the reason I think that is because they're just better out of 11 personnel. Their success rate was the best of any personnel grouping out of 11. And it is their best position running the ball in terms of success rate. Only Dallas had a higher success rate. And they're an elite running team when running out of 11 personnel, particularly in shotgun. When they run the ball out of 11 personnel, when they run the ball out of shotgun, they kill teams. They kill teams. Now, the problem is play action is not as effective out of shotgun. So how do you square those two things? Because Matt LaFleur wants to run the ball and he wants to play action. Well, you have to find a balance. And I think that balance 
means playing enough 11 personnel, playing enough three receiver sets that you can run the ball effectively. I mean, we can think of a lot of games where the passing game was not great, but Aaron Jones, because of the matchups that were created by the Packers playing those three receiver sets, was able to run against light boxes and create lanes. I mean, the Dallas game was such a great example of that. It didn't matter that Geronimo Allison was the guy and that they didn't have Devontae Adams. Just having three receivers on the field, you force the defense into nickel personnel, and now you have created an advantage for yourself. So my expectation is we're going to see, no matter if it's 11 or 12, so three receivers or two tight ends and two receivers, there's going to be someone in the slot pretty consistently because I think more than half the time they're going to be in three receiver sets. Even if they increase their usage of two tight end sets, we know, because Jay Sternberger said so on this show, that they want to put him in the slot more. And Jimmy Graham was someone who played most of his snaps, by far the majority of his snaps from the slot. So what they're going to do is always have two receivers on the field, or almost always, and almost always have someone in the slot, whether it's a receiver or a tight end. And so who are the guys who are most adept at filling that role? Jimmy Graham was not. Geronimo Allison was not. But what they wanted to do was attack the middle of the field. That's where Jay Sternberger can win. It's also where Devin Funches can win. And this is why I think even if Funches is wide receiver three, he's going to be a major factor in this offense because he's going to play that big slot role, those Jimmy Graham snaps. And he's going to give you an opportunity to attack the middle of the field with a big body, someone who has a track record of making catches in traffic, of getting open in the middle of the field, who can use his size and his frame to create passing windows for Aaron Rodgers. We know Devontae Adams is probably going to play some in the slot, you know, 15, 20% in the slot. That's great. He is going to be a matchup nightmare wherever you put him on the field. But remember, slot receivers tend to be smaller. So, you know, you look at Shannon Sullivan, for example. Shannon Sullivan against Devin Funches is a mismatch for the Packers offense. And that is pretty consistently the kind of player you're going to see lined up from that slot receiver all season. You're not going to put MVS in the slot very often, particularly because you want to see him get down the field. The Packers have a little bit of a glut of options in terms of players who can play that big slot. Devin Funches, Alan Lazard, and Equinemius St. Brown, to name a few. You're probably not going to see Jake Kumaro in there. It's not really what he does best. So those three guys are going to be competing for snaps there. The advantage that Lazard has is he can be an outside receiver. Now, the same is true for Funchess, but I think the best advantage that he provides is that big slot body type advantage. We know Alan Lazard can create down the field. The Packers, per Matt LaFleur, want to be able to do that a little bit more. And when Matt LaFleur was asked how they do that, he said play calling, but he also mentioned two names at the top. Eventually, he got to everyone's name, but the two names that were top of his mind were Al Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think right now, that's your wide receiver one through four. Adams, 
and then in some order, Lazard, Funchess, and MVS. And you're going to see a lot of snaps from Funchess in the slot, some outside, and then in terms of wanting to attack down the field, obviously MVS, that's his bread and butter. Can he create more of a role for himself? I think you'll probably see when the Packers go to those two tight end sets or those two running back sets, which I also think you'll see more, that you will see more of Marquez Valdez-Scantling on the field in those sets because those are the times when Green Bay wants to take shots. If you put heavy personnel on the field offensively, Devontae Adams, who's going to draw a crowd no matter what, Aaron Jones, who linebackers and safeties are going to have to respect, and you have someone like MVS, if you go hard play action off of that and now you have single coverage with a safety in no man's land, you can create all kinds of opportunities for MVS. Aaron Rodgers talked about wanting him to take that next step. Alan Lazard is not the same sort of size speed player, but he is kind of the ideal guy to have on the single receiver side of the field and just let him work a dig, a backside post. You want to give Devontae Adams opportunities on the combination side of the field with the route running. Of course, you also want to give him opportunities one-on-one on the other side where you can't give help. But I think you're going to see a lot of Alan Lazard in one-on-one situations, backside posts, backside digs, and Aaron Rodgers get him opportunities to work with his frame and his ability to find open space. The question on the fringe of this roster is how do you handle Equinemius St. Brown, Jake Kumaro, and Reggie Bagleton? Now, Jake Kumaro is the most proven of that group. EQ is the most talented of that group. And I think Bagleton is the best after the catch of that group, a skill set that Green Bay otherwise sorely lacks. So each has a case to be on this team. There's going to be questions about how many receivers they keep. My guess is they're only going to keep six because of the needs that they have elsewhere. The draft that they have, they probably want to keep those offensive linemen that they took on day three. So that probably means they can't recreate the seven receiver rosters from years past. I still think Bagleton is most likely to end up on the practice squad and they end up with six receivers. And this offense, at least in the personnel that we see on the field, is not going to be fundamentally different. A little less three receiver sets, a little more big personnel, you know, maybe 25% now with two tight ends, maybe 15% in two running backs versus 12, 18%, something like that. But you'd settle for better efficiency. Doesn't have to be more plays. But you'd rather the plays that they call be efficient. I think Matt LaFleur understands that there are some really good things the Packers do in three receiver sets. It's Aaron Rodgers' most comfortable formation. It's what he's done for years with Mike McCarthy. And last year, it was still their best package. And it's Aaron Jones' best package. And shotgun is their best formation running the ball. And so that creates a little bit of dissonance for Matt LaFleur. He's going to have to find ways to match those things up. And it's one reason why it's going to be a little bit more difficult to do than I think has been said, including for me, 
because there there are just there are elements of the offense that they're good at that there's there's no reason to abandon and that includes three receiver sets and the shotgun formation so again i've said this before but any idea that this is going to become some dinosaur offense is just overstated because the numbers speak for themselves the success speaks for themselves and even if you're not a numbers guy and and or girl or person and by the way the packers do care about the numbers the film is going to reflect what the numbers tell you. And that's how it works. When you do something a lot and you're better at it than these other things, it's it's probably going to be clear on tape. And so when you marry those two things together, the Packers know where their bread is buttered. And right now, given their personnel, it looks a certain way. And that way is pretty similar to last year. They just need to execute a lot of it better. And if you're looking to execute a little bit better in your life, the U.S. Army can help. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where you can make all of that happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself what's your warrior and text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. We have a, a special edition of Locked on Packers tomorrow. It's a discussion between a number of Locked on hosts about sports and culture and race and a lot of the issues facing people of color in this country, the things that athletes have spoken out about, and it's something that our whole network has put together. It's going to run on every feed, and I'm looking forward to it because, you know, Ross Jackson, who last week, if you listened to the discussion about Drew Brees, Ross came on the show. I, I, I wanted him to have the chance to address you, and, and I thought he did so with a plum. So... That is something that I think is important. Obviously, I think it's important enough to share with you. And so I hope you'll take a listen. Obviously, I know that it's not going to be what everyone wants out of a sports podcast. But it is something that is important to the network. It's something that's important to me. And so I hope you'll take the time and and, and listen here. Uh, That is the operative work. Listening has been uh, a cornerstone of these discussions. And so I hope you'll take the time to do that. But we will be back on Friday. We're actually going to do five shows this week. Um, because we have this special edition. So um, I want to make sure we get all of that in. And at least for June, we will have uh, four shows for the rest of the month. Early July, I think we're going to go to three shows, at least until training camp, assuming that all opens up on time. There may even be some, some weeks we only have two shows, depending on what's going on. So just something to be aware of. The easiest way to make sure you never miss a show is to subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers. <laughs>